Is the United States global cybersecurity leadership in jeopardy? America's first cyber diplomat addresses that question coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The United States over the past six years has led other nations in developing international cyber norms. Through the State Department's Office of the Coordinator of Cyber Issues, led until earlier this summer by Christopher Painter. Painter resigned as the department's first and only coordinator of cyber issues as Secretary of State Rex Tillerson unveiled plans to streamline the department by closing Painter's office, along with dozens of other offices of coordinators, special envoys, and ambassadors. The Office of the Coordinator of Cyber Issues will be folded into the department's Bureau of Economic Affairs, a move that Painter says could hinder America's global cyber leadership because of the Bureau's primary focus on economic, not cyber matters. Look, I want the State Department to succeed. I want our government to succeed. This is too important an issue for us to go back to where we were eight, nine years ago. People thought of this more as a boutique issue for technical folks and not as a major issue of our national security. Things like the executive order that are out there and what comes out of the executive order will help. President Donald Trump last May signed a cybersecurity executive order. But the threats are increasing. Yes, we need DHS to play their role strongly. We need DOJ. We need DOD to play a strong role. But there's an important role for the diplomatic aspect in reaching out and working with partners, particularly as we think about deterrence, how we, uh, we go after these threats. So, yes, the U.S. absolutely has to be in a leadership role. The U.S. has been in a leadership role. Our partners look to us to be in a leadership role. Our adversaries would be very quick to fill the gap if we were not out there and, and pushing a very important strategic agenda. I worry about the, the structure that they're so far proposing. I want that emphasis to continue. We had a lot of momentum, not at all saying we had solved everything because we hadn't, but we had really led the world in thinking about a framework for cyber stability. We had worked with other countries and creating networks to respond to cyber threats. So I think the U.S. really would be at a disadvantage and the world would be a disadvantage if the U.S. was not taken this role. As a federal employee, Painter has been involved in one aspect or another of cybersecurity and cybercrime for the better part of three decades. In the mid-1990s, as an assistant U.S. attorney, Painter successfully prosecuted hacker Kevin Mitnick. Painter served for many years as the principal deputy chief of the Justice Department's Computer Crime and Intellectual Property Section and as deputy assistant director of the FBI Cyber Division. Before being tapped as the State Department's Cyber Issues Coordinator, Painter spent two years in the White House as senior director for cybersecurity, including a stint as acting cybersecurity coordinator. Painter's State Department gig proved to be a popular concept. More than 20 other nations established similar offices in their foreign ministries. And that helped engage presidents and prime ministers of cybersecurity matters from a number of governments around the globe. Painter says leading the State Department's cyber diplomacy, as well as elevating cyber as a whole new area of foreign policy, are among his proudest professional accomplishments. I think that was a real sea change. That ability to be innovative and to create that new field is really important. And my most fervent goal now is that we don't drop the ball. We have built good momentum. We have a lot to do. There are a lot of challenges ahead. This is not easy stuff. All of us really want us to be more secure and find ways to do that and to be effective. Ultimately, I hope that's where we get to. There's a lot of challenges ahead. You know, I've been doing this, these issues for 27 years in some capacity. If I compare this to where we were even five or 10 years ago, we made a lot of progress. You know, the challenges have gone up, but we've also made a lot of progress. 
When we return, Chris Painter shares his thoughts about the cyber threat from adversaries such as Russia. You look at interference in democratic processes, that's not just cyber. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit Toronto, taking place on September 12th and 13th at the Delta Hotel, will feature Art Coviello, former CEO RSA Security, as the keynote speaker. This plus other subject matter experts from Visa, CA Technologies, Carnegie Mellon, and more will discuss key information security topics. Register today at events.ismg.io. Welcome back. A fact about contemporary diplomacy, you can't separate out cyber is an important component, but one that plays a critical role in nations dealing with other nations. A case in point, Russia's interference with the U.S. electoral process. Here's Chris Painter. Russia and China, too, have become much, much more active on the world stage in trying to support many countries and become much more active in trying to win them over their point of view. I am concerned about that. One of the things that we have to recognize is, you know, people, there's still this kind of starry-eyed quality to cyber where people think it's just, you know, this specialty area to some extent, even though I think it's evolved significantly, as I said, to be for foreign policy and national security issues. They think everything is a cyber. So if you look at interference in democratic processes, that's not just cyber. And that's cyber coupled with influence operations. And when you want to counter something like that, you need a broad base to counter it. It's not just using the cyber tools. You need those to secure your information and to make sure that it's not you know, spread in ways that are harmful. But you also have to employ other capabilities that are not cyber. You shouldn't just think about cyber tools or even threats as being uh, siloed in a small area, but think of it in terms of the larger context of the threats we face and how we counter them more generally. That's Christopher Painter. Until earlier this summer, the U.S. State Department's Cyber Issues Coordinator. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next up is ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk with a story about the constant threat posed by aging Internet of Things devices. The potential for large attacks harnessing Internet of Things devices has been made clear once again. A researcher caused concern to spike after he tweeted a link to a list of 33,000 devices. The list, which was first posted in June, contains IP addresses and, in some cases, usernames and passwords for Telnet. That's the remote access facility that is often left open on devices such as routers, IP cameras, and digital video recorders. The list was posted by someone going by the nickname MiraiPots, which is a reference to the Internet of Things botnet that infected vulnerable devices last year. The list is now offline, but it remains preserved in the Internet Archive. The list actually doesn't matter so much, as devices that have Telnet turned on and face the Internet can be easily found using the Shodan search engine. But the attention to the list highlights that despite the large distributed denial-of-service attacks last year, there are loads of insecure ones that could possibly be taken over by attackers. The discovery of the list was enough for the GDI Foundation, which is a nonprofit group based in the Netherlands, to make an effort at remediation. The foundation is in the process of contacting affected host owners and ISPs. ISPs are a key partner in trying to clean up the Internet of Things, since they have the customer relationship. But while ISPs can identify the customers that have vulnerable devices, it's still up to that customer whether to take action. As has been pointed out many times, older IoT devices may have hard-coded default credentials and were manufactured at a time when the Internet was a less malicious place. 
Other devices may need a firmware update to fix issues. But IoT manufacturers often don't support products beyond a few years, and even pieces of equipment such as routers may only rarely be replaced, and even then not for security issues. The GDI Foundation's effort is important, if perhaps generally unappreciated, work. Experts have warned for years that low-end devices with connectivity were ripe for attack. Their predictions came true last year with the Mirai botnet, but the risks will remain for some time. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally. Today is a humbling experience for all of us. Equifax will not be defined by this incident, but rather by how we respond. That's Rick Smith, chief executive of Equifax, one of the three largest American credit reporting agencies. Smith appeared in a video posted on the Equifax website shortly after the company revealed on Thursday that a web application flaw last spring exposed 143 million customer records to hackers. Exposed information included names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and in some cases, driver's license numbers. Equifax says it's offering free identity theft protection and credit file monitoring to all American consumers, even those not affected by the breach. Smith was remorseful when describing the breach and its impact. This is clearly a disappointing event and one that strikes at the heart of who we are and what we do. I deeply regret this incident and I apologize to every affected consumer and all of our partners. We all know that the threats to data security are growing by the day. And while we've made significant investments in cybersecurity, we have more to do and we will. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Thank you.